0: Hi friends, I hope you are doing very well and that you are wrapping up a musical week. Today we get to talk about something that in my mind is very interesting and that is where do the standards fit in the music curriculum planning process? My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 24 of Elemental Conversations. I was having a conversation with a colleague on Instagram, and this is a person who thinks very thoughtfully and very intentionally about their curriculum. And we had been talking a little bit about long range planning. And this person said, how do the standards fit into the curriculum planning process? Or would you ever plan with the standards leading the way? And I liked that phrasing. So I said, you know, tell me a little bit more about you know, your perspective on this. And uh, by the way, this individual has full knowledge and a full thumbs up about this being a podcast episode. So with that thumbs up from this individual, uh, they said, I feel really at the mercy of the standards. They have to be really well written and sometimes they are confusing to me. I know I have a legal obligation to meet them all, but it is sometimes hard for me to do what I think is best and let the standards drive instruction. I'm lucky that, and in this state that this person teaches in, I'm lucky that this state generally does a great job with what they include, but it's still another angle to pacify. Okay. Another angle to pacify. I think that is such a, a great way, such an intuitive way to phrase it. And it's something that I think a lot of us can relate to about having a lot of different angles that we need to pacify as elementary general music teachers. And there are lots of different uh, approaches that we are trying to use, a lot of different lenses that we are trying to use. And sometimes when we talk about the standards, For many of us, depending on your administration and where you teach and all all of those things, for many of us, it can feel like the very highest expectation from our administration, but the area that we have the least amount of training in. So when we think about something that we are trying to pacify, it feels like the highest expectation with the least amount of training, or at least it can. I actually have a very short answer to this, which is just that uh, the curriculum that you write should align to the standards that you're supposed to use, and that's it. <laughs> but I know that there's a lot more to unpack here, so let's talk about uh, again with this idea of elemental conversations. Let's break things down so that hopefully, when we piece them back together, they like they make a little bit more sense. Now. All of this is a, this is my personal take, and you will find people with different takes on the role that the standards are supposed to play in the curriculum development process. So I want to make room for just the acknowledgement that this is an area where there are many different perspectives. This is my specific perspective, but if you were to talk to someone who has been on the team of developing the core standards, the, the national core arts standards or the state standards or the other standards that we'll talk about today. If you were to talk to one of those people, they might have a different perspective. So this is just a, a statement here at the front so that we're all on the same page. This is a personal take. So with that said, let's jump in. So we'll talk about what we actually mean when we just say music standards, because we could mean a lot of different things just with that one short phrase. We're also going to talk about a quick history of the music standards. And I say quick, but this could take a long time because it is very interesting to me. We will also talk about um, a very common, uh, not criticism of the standards, but a a common area of confusion, which is just that... um, In the words of so many of us, they don't tell me what to do. They don't tell me anything. (laughs) And then we'll talk about where the standards can fit in the curriculum planning process and some quick tips for adding more standards-based teaching to your plans. I'm not normally a quick tips person, but this I think serves our purpose here very well. So that's a lot to unpack, and this could be the subject of many more podcast episodes. But just so we have a place to start, let's look at what we mean when we talk about this little phrase, the standards, right? We have National Core Arts Standards, and we'll talk about those more in a moment, kind of uh, place them in in time, in in a a bit more of a historical context. So anyway, we have national standards and we also have state standards. And then depending on um, the specific uh, framework that you're using, you might have international standards as well. Let's talk about state standards first. In general, I find that these are the easiest to align with from a curriculum standpoint. And the reason is people at the state level can really zoom in to the people who are actually in their music classrooms and they can say, you know, when I listen to the people in my state, what are they interested in? What are their values and how can we work together on this smaller state level to come up with some standards that really serve our students well? And so to the point that we'll talk about in a moment, which is a common um, uh, struggle when, with the national standards of people believing that they just don't tell us anything, right? Normally, state standards are, they have a lot of alignment with the National Core Arts Standards, but they have a little bit more clarity in terms of perhaps like some notational literacy components or uh, song repertoire or instruments that students are supposed to use, things like that. Now, with that, we have many different states in the United States. And so when we talk about state standards and what we need to do for state standards, we could have a very different set of, of parameters and benchmarks and goals, depending on where you teach in the United States. So that's one thing to think about. What, when we say uh, music standards, sometimes we're thinking about very specific state standards. Or we might be backing up and looking at a more broad view of the national standards. And with our national standards, the National Core Arts Standards, we have those for the entire United States. But guess what? When you log on to Instagram, and you see teachers sharing ideas, you're going to see teachers from other countries sharing their ideas, and chances are their music activities are going to align with their national standards, and that's something else to point out. We have our standards here in the United States, but there are many nations, right? (laughs) There are many nations in the globe, in the world, that also have their own music standards and then if you are perhaps let's say that you are in a US school outside the US you might need to align with your aero standards for an international with an international lens so i want to use this framing of just saying how broad that little statement can be music standards and with all of this i want to make the point that the standards are not etched in stone these are not like the 10 commandments and it was like a full stop at the end this is what we have Uh, this is a set of values the standards are a set of values and those values can look very different depending on what organization is using them and developing them and planning for their implementation so i don't want us to have this black and white view of the standards i want to set them in context and just make make sure that we're addressing that when we say or when our principal says that they need to be that our lesson plans need to be aligned with the standards that is not as narrow of of a statement as perhaps it might feel to us. So that is taking the standards and kind of placing them in context in terms of the breadth, the, the variation of that little term, music standards. Now let's place them into a different context and that is a historical context. You know, these standards did not fall from the sky and these are not, again, these are not carved in stone. And when we think about our current national core arts standards, we have not always had standards. We have not always had standards at all. And sometimes they have only applied to K-5 and then to K-8 and then to instrumental and then K-12. You know, all of there has been a progression of our understanding of the need for standards and what they do for us in education in general and then certainly in music education specifically. And this development of standards is so interesting to think about because our development of the standards as, as an educational institution that has paralleled the evolution of American history and American politics and global history, right? Specifically Russia <laughs> um, and our understanding of child development and our philosophies as musicians and as educators, and then our values as mus- as musicians and educators and our values as a nation. So this is a lot to unpack. Let's jump into some history. Again, I find this to be very interesting. But if you are not interested in history and, um, you know, how we got to where we are in terms of music, uh, go ahead and just skip forward a little bit and the rest of us will kind of camp out here. Uh, Let's talk about the history of music education in the United States music education has existed in this land what we call the united states today existed for thousands and thousands of years this was music education with the lens of, with the the purpose of things like uh, religious use, music as a part of religious or spiritual events, and then by that same token, social events, and then some pragmatic events like work education. So indigenous people on this land that we call the United States today have had music education and continue to have music education. Let's fast forward. We have, in Boston Public Schools, 1838, music education in schools in a big way as in in a significant way something that is very interesting to note about if this is new for you i think again i think it's very very interesting and this is old information you can just nod along with me it's all good uh something very interesting to point out is that when we added music education to the public schools in boston 1838 that was for three very specific reasons and the driving Push To include music in the schools was that the congregational singing in the Christian church, they viewed it as lacking. They were like, oh gosh, this guy next to me is out of tune. We've got to start working on music education at the very foundational levels in the school. And there was this belief that everyone has a talent from God. And when we ignore that talent from God by not educating them in music, specifically singing, again, for the purpose of congregational singing, we are being disrespectful to God himself. So public schools need to get on board with music education so that we can stop sounding so terrible in our congregations a very interesting viewpoint and a very interesting um, I don't know time capsule into the way of thinking about education and public education at the time so just kind of tuck that in your brain I think uh, again I think that it is fascinating so these early music teachers when we first started adding music to the schools uh, when I say music I mean singing I want to be clear I do not mean like capital M music <laughs> uh, I mean very specifically singing. It's not the ORF approach of sing, say, dance, play. We just sing, 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 sing. Uh, so these early music teachers in the United States, these were teachers who previously were doing singing schools and they were working with congregations. And so the school system, you know, as as we start to add more music to more uh, schools across the nation, they're like, hey, you know how to teach singing, right? And they're like, oh boy, do I? And they're like, do you want to come teach like singing to little kids and stuff? And they're like, Sure. So these early music teachers were singing school teachers, by and large, not all the time, but but for the most part, that's our pool that we were that we were pulling from. Now, here's a separate thing. Uh, These people and this is just another kind of lens into our time capsule. This is where we were as a nation. If someone says, yeah, I know about singing or like, great, can we hire you as a public school teacher? (laughs) That is a very, uh, it's a very different process to being hired in a public school at this point in our uh, educational trajectory. So just another thing to kind of tuck in your brain, we've come, um, the the situation today is very different in terms of, you know, being certified, (laughs) things like that. Okay, let's fast forward. At some point, people look around and they say, hey, we have like a big situation here in terms of like a national level and we are moving schools into more rural areas and people in uh, the United States are starting to move around to different places. And so we really need a standard course in music. And that is what the uh, music... Teachers National Association. That is what they came up with. This was 1921. A standard course in music, and they had a couple aims. They didn't have standards in the way that we think of them. Uh, they had aims, and they were things like I've just pulled two of them from the list. And by the way, there there are many um, books. There are dissertations written about this. Uh, So a lot of this comes from a book called A Concise History of American Music Education, which again, you might be familiar with, uh, and that is by Michael Mark. And then there are a number of dissertations. Uh, If you just go onto JSTOR or, you know, your browsing research database of choice and look for some studies about this, you will find them. Um, So I just pulled a few of these. Again, this is from 1921. And this is, again, just as like a little time capsule. This is what music teachers in 1921, when they came together and they said, what are we actually doing here? What's, What's the real purpose of all of this? What are our aims in music education? They said, here we go. Every child shall have acquired a repertory of songs, which may be carried into the home and social life, including America, and the Star-Spangled Banner. Ooh, interesting. Here's a second one. The children shall have developed a love for the beautiful in music and taste in choosing their songs and the music to which they listen for enjoyment and pleasure, which only good music can give. Let's pause there for a quick moment. So this first one, we have some songs that we want to be able to carry from school into home and social life. And those songs very specifically are two patriotic songs. Now, if you are familiar with our current core arts standards, you will say, aha, connecting. We want to relate artistic ideas and works with societal and cultural and historical context to deepen understanding. Oh, and we want to demonstrate understanding of relationships between music and the other arts and other disciplines, varied context and daily life. Aha, that's what they were doing and they were like no 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 no! we need you to know the star spangled banner and we need you to know america and we need you to be able to use music in a social context okay so i think that's interesting just to see some parallels and then the next one is equally interesting to me that the children shall have developed a love for the beautiful in music okay and taste for choosing their own songs and the music they listen to for enjoyment and pleasure isn't that interesting because we if we were to look at that statement from our current lens of the core arts standards we might say aha so what was really important to them was anchor standard number four select analyze and interpret artistic work for presentation and then the specific standard of you know demonstrate and explain how the selection of music to perform is influenced by personal interest knowledge purpose and context aha they were also in alignment with this responding category, and they must have really valued the enduring understanding of anchor standard number seven, individual selection of musical works is influenced by their interests, experiences, understandings, and purposes. But that's not what they said. They said children should develop a love for beautiful music that they can listen to for enjoyment. Okay, so that is very interesting. Just uh, and, and we won't stop and camp out on every single standard that we talk about for the rest of this podcast episode, but I do want to just point out that our our uh, the way we view our values the way we write down our values as a music education community that has certainly changed but you can see these artistic processes even here at the very beginning in 1921 so that said let's move on (laughs) so we have uh, children acquiring songs like America and the Star-Spangled Banner. We have children developing a love for beautiful music. And then we keep kind of trucking along through time. In 1936 and then in 1938, they revised these slightly. Uh, we developed, we as in music education community, developed a, a course of study for music so that is uh, a very slight update to what we had before a standard course in music education and some of these musical objectives were to help each individual child to use his singing voice well and again these are some quotes that i've pulled Uh, to help each individual child to respond to musical rhythm with free and appropriate movements of his body. Ooh, interesting. So let's notice that now we're allowed to move in music. Aha, okay, let's keep going. Next, to bring the children into contact with a large amount of music. Ooh, so that in learning to sing beautiful songs and listening, aha, listening, attentively to compositions heard, they will gradually come to hear more precisely and analytically, and will, through their singing and listening, learn to understand the details of music better, and therefore will appreciate it more keenly. Whoa! What an action-packed sentence! So you can see how we are kind of broadening—we uh, are broadening our view of what music education is, and now we are very specifically uh, thinking about. Listening, we are mentioning movement. We are listening, or we were mentioning analysis, uh, things like that. And again, you can hear some some elements of our current standards. And then, if you want to back up to the 1994 standards, you have this large amount of good music. And we can talk about the word "good" in there all the time. Uh, we want to bring children into contact with a large amount of music and learn beautiful songs, like very different kinds of songs, you know, uh, singing alone with others, a varied repertoire of songs. Interesting. Let's jump forward. 1976, and then again in 1986, we had the School Music Program Descriptions and Standards from MENC. Now, this one was a big deal. This was a big, big deal deal. As a nation, we were paying very close attention to what other countries were doing, specifically in things like math and science and how that applied to the space race. There's lots of stuff to unpack here. This is is a whole course of study (laughs) on its own. Um, And then as a music community, just zooming into the music community specifically, we have had the uh, Yale Symposium, we have had the Tanglewood Symposium at this point, and it is hard to Um, you know obviously I wasn't there but my understanding of these events is that it's very hard to overstate their impact on music education so now we have in 1976 we have these three umbrellas we have performing organizing and describing and then we have a revision in 1986 that adds a few things to that performing slash reading creating listening and describing and then valuing So this really paves the way for what so many of us are used to as perhaps, uh, not everyone, but so many of us are used to as our standards that we know very well, which are the 1994 Voluntary National Music Standards. This is, you know, singing alone with others, a varied repertoire of music, performing on instruments, improvising, composing, reading, listening, analyzing, describing, evaluating and then understanding relationships and understanding music as it fits into history and culture. People, uh, you know, with with all things, people had varied opinions about this. But in general, what I remember is that people liked that we had some very specific things to do in these standards and if you contrast those with what we have in 2014 what came out as the core arts standards uh this was again you know i i said at the beginning that the the movement of our standards in music education and this movement of what we write down on paper as the things that we value that has so much parallel to american politics and american history and global history and philosophy and all of these different things so keeping with that idea that music standards have paralleled american politics 2014, this was very tied to NCLB, No Child Left Behind. All of the development, things don't happen uh, just like one day people wake up and some guy with a tie is like, you know what? I think we need to create, perform, respond, connect. I think that's the new direction, right? Things happen as a result of other catalysts. So uh, it's just interesting to, and again, this is a whole entire course, but it is very interesting to look at what institutes change what is the thing that spurs change and what is the thing that spurs change on paper that is in some ways just a reflection of the change in the environment that's already taken place anyway in 2014 we now have create perform, respond, and connect. And then, so those are our three. And then if you add connect, that's our fourth big umbrella category. And then within those, we have 11 anchor standards that are consistent across the arts. That's arts with a capital A. So not just music and not just general music, not just band, but something that is meant to be applied to band, and general music and mariachi ensemble and your music theory class and your drama and your visual arts and your media arts and all of all of that stuff this is where we get to this criticism that the standards don't tell you what to do that is because very intentionally they are supposed to be broad artistic processes not a tiny little set of musical skills that we can check off. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. So the standards, when we look at them in context, they are an indicator of what we value as an educational community. And someone in, you know, 20, 30 years will look back on our standards and they will say, oh, isn't it interesting that they said respond, right? In the same way that we look at what people were doing in 1921 and we say wow those were their goals that's how they were thinking so interesting someone will do that to us and say when these people had the opportunity to write down their values this is what they chose and other people in 20 30 years will find it interesting and i think that that is interesting okay That is probably uh, more than enough history in terms of what this podcast needs. I just really like looking at context. So... Let's talk and hopefully if you fast forwarded because you don't enjoy history, hopefully you're here with us now. uh, Let's talk about this criticism. I do want to address it that, you know, the quote, the standards don't tell me anything. Let's talk about what the standards actually are. We've looked at what we used to do, which is, you know, having a standard that children should learn this specific song. And now we have changed all the way to students, musicians, student musicians should engage in these artistic processes, regardless of what their ensemble is or their specific artistic pathway is, there are some hats that we wear as artists and then specifically as musicians. And that is the the beauty of these standards. That is the brilliance of the current National Core Arts standards. The big win is that they don't tell you to learn a specific rhythm in a specific grade. The big win is that they don't tell you that you have to sing. That is a good thing. They tell you instead that we have some roles that we play as musicians. Again, artists in general, and then for us specifically for this conversation, musicians. Those artistic processes are, we can think of them not as things to check off, but different hats that we wear. And I find that when we can shift our understanding from standards as something that we check off to looking at the standards again as a hat, that can be really helpful. So as a musician, just you personally, as a musician, there are things that you do in the role of the creator. And you say, no, Victoria, that's not true. I've never composed and I am terrified to improvise. Aha, but you have made a decision about how to interpret a musical score. Yes, yes. You have made creative decisions as a musician. You have been wearing the role, uh, wearing the hat, and and taking on the role of a creator, and that's what we need our students to do. We need to give them very specific opportunities to wear the creator hat, because guess what, you guys, someone needs to make the music that we play. Hmm, interesting. That's another topic for another time. The hat that most of us are are most closely identified with is this performance hat we are very comfortable with thinking of ourselves as musicians as wearing the hat of a performer that is someone who actually needs to produce music but you know what there's so much that goes into producing music producing as in uh actually making a musical sound creating the sonic event that we call music that's the hat of a uh, performer Someone who does the music. And then as people and certainly as musicians, we are also in the role of the responder. We make decisions about how we will respond to the sonic events and the visual events that we see and hear. That's the hat of the responder. And student musicians also need to learn how to take that hat and go with it. And then, again, this is just as humans and then specifically as musicians, we make decisions about how music is going to connect to other things in our life. So for example, when I feel a specific way I want to listen to a specific song when I want to feel uh, like if I need to vacuum my house and like really get into it and just have a good time and not be so upset that I need to vacuum you might put on your I don't know your 80s your 90s your 50s jam whatever whatever it is uh, you put on music that will help you through that contextual daily life task so all of these All of these processes are already, and we talked about this in the 1921 skills or in the 1921 aims that they were talking about all of these, Uh, processes have always been here as musicians the whole time it's just now we're taking away that you need to sing a so and me song in first grade and instead we are saying you need to be a competent a literate we are focused on literacy not necessarily notational literacy but literacy (laughs) Uh, we are focused on literacy in these standards, you need to be competent wearing the hat of the creator and the performer and the responder and the connector, because that is a very natural set of hats that musicians use anyway. So that is what we have in our standards from a a national core arts standards standpoint. If you are the person who says, "Hey, I really want to know what I'm supposed to do and when," I would say that's not uh, the direction that the standards are moving us towards. But the the people who put this together were very, very thoughtful. These are very uh, intuitive these are very practical and these are very artistic thinkers uh, this team who put together our standards and they have very kindly given us a set of knowledge skills and dispositions so if you are someone who is like yeah but they don't tell me anything <laughs> you might be interested in just doing a google search for national core arts standards knowledge skills and dispositions because this is document or this page has some links to very specific skills. If, if we want to look at our curriculum as a skill-based curriculum, there are some things that we can expect from, you know, a, a second grader versus a fifth grader versus an eighth grader. And so looking at, uh, Again, this set of knowledge and skills that can be very, very helpful if you feel kind of lost as to how exactly to implement the standards or not exactly how to implement them, but just an example of what it even looks like to have a curriculum aligned to the standards. So let's jump back to this question of where standards fit in the curriculum planning process. Everything that we have talked about so far has absolutely been framed by my personal opinion about a lot of different things. And this next uh, little section of our conversation is still within the realm of a personal opinion. So I, I just need to issue a personal opinion alert. <laughs> On a broad level, these artistic processes are already there. I can't, I can't really imagine having a music curriculum that really serves students well and not asking them to take on these roles. So I think that very naturally, these artistic processes create, perform, respond, connect. I think those are naturally embedded in so much of what we do anyway. The thing that we need to do for administration is just check it off a list. Do you know what I mean? So on a broad level, I think it is a seamless transition from the, uh, the school curriculum that you develop for your situation and the national standards. I view that as a very seamless transaction. On a smaller level, when we look at the actual specific standards, you know, um, like the very specific standards for um, creating in third grade. That is where things get a little bit more nuanced for me. And this is why I am resistant to using the standards as a curriculum. The standards are not our curriculum. The standards are a set of artistic processes that our curriculum is going to align to. But our actual curriculum is something very, very different. The reason I say it's more nuanced is what happens if your uh your fifth graders let's just pull up i'm going to pull up some standards for creating and let's look at what fifth graders need to do generate musical ideas such as rhythm melody and accompaniment patterns within specific related tonalities meters and simple chord changes well what happens though if your fifth graders actually are not quite ready for that really what they need to do is with limited guidance generate musical ideas in multiple tonalities such as major or minor and meters such as duple or triple hmm, interesting well that is a first grade standard compared to a fifth grade standard so now if I am trying to show how I align to the standards but my fifth graders my first year teaching at this school or whatever it is what happens if your fifth graders are not ready to generate musical ideas as the standards say they are supposed to. That is where the tension lies for me personally. And and state standards, because they are so specific and because that is one of their strengths, right? That can also be something tricky uh, and a tricky conversation to have to your administrator with your administrator to say like, hi, yeah, so we are not in alignment with what the standards say a fifth grade a picture of musicianship should be and the people who developed these standards they were absolutely aware of that so if if that is something that you can identify with if that is a tension that you feel you can just do a quick google search for opportunity to learn standards national core arts standards and then see uh you know there has been some thought given to again this very natural logical area of tension when it comes to implementing the standards at a grade level. So when I say that there's some nuance, when you look at the very, like a more micro level, that is what I mean. Standards-based planning, if it needs to be kind of compartmentalized into different grades, that is where uh, things get, again, tricky. One of the reasons that I really appreciate how broad our current standards are, are that we have uh, some specific targets to think about with within each grade level. Right. We talked about like the fifth grade standard versus the first grade standard. But something that you need to think about as an implementer of these standards is there is no set amount of time on a national level there is a lot of variety, I should say it this way. There is a lot of variety in how much time students spend with music and what that schedule is, right? So you might have students, gosh, the schedules all across the nation are just so unique to each other. Uh, you have people who see their class for nine weeks at a time and then they're gone for nine weeks or you have people who have them one semester and then they transition to art for the second semester. There is just so much variation within the amount of time that students engage with elementary general music. And so aside from the time and from a scheduling perspective, there's also a huge disparity between the access to things like technology and barred instruments and other pitched percussion and unpitched percussion and boomwhackers. You know, what are the other tools that students have to create music? There's a lot of there's a lot of variation across the nation. And so we can't have national standards that say play a broken Bordeaux by second grade, right, because not everyone has access to barred instruments. So in addition to time and scheduling and um, resources, we also have a lot of variation with who is teaching music. Is it a certified teacher? Is it a certified music teacher? Because sometimes we do have a certified music teacher that's there full time. Sometimes it's someone who is broken up between, you know, 12 different schools. And sometimes they are teaching not during the school day, but it's after school. And then sometimes there is not a certified music teacher on campus at all. And it is the general classroom teacher who is in charge of music instruction. And so that is why... If we were to get very rigid with the standards, we could have, as a, as a nation, we could have a really tough time. And again, that is why thinking about standards as processes, processes that lead to literacy, that is a much more practical way of viewing alignment with the standards rather than we need to sing this song by this grade and perform this kind of... Uh, I don't know, rhythmic motif in this grade, that type of thing. That is a conversation for you to have with yourself as you create your curriculum. And then as you create your curriculum, you align it with the standards. So we have talked about a lot of different things in This conversation, (laughs) we have looked at all of the variation in what we mean when we say music standards. We have talked about a history of the standards. We have looked at uh, the role that the standards play, the role that they are intended to play and the role that they are not intended to play. And even though I guess maybe a different way to frame it would be even though we need to check off that we are using the standards, the standards as they stand right now are not intended to be things that you can just check. They are intended to be processes. Okay. And then we've talked about where the standards fit in the curriculum. Okay, when it comes time to look at your music curriculum and think about how it is in alignment with the standards and maybe some tweaks that you could make to highlight these processes, there are a couple just very simple steps that we can take. The first thing is just to ask why you are doing the activity. And, and you know, in this past podcast episode, the one that came out right before this about the curriculum planning process, We talked about long-range planning and planning with intention. And so if you know why you are doing the activity, it is very easy to take that next step to the artistic process that students are using with the activity. Do you know what I mean? And then the other thing that I just want to reiterate is even if you do not think of yourself as someone who plans your own curriculum, you are still making curricular decisions, even if you are using Quaver. Um, Even if you are using, I don't know, your spotlight on music textbooks, you are still needing to make some decisions about what students will actually do inside the classroom. So whether you are creating your curriculum or kind of piecing things together, same thing for our purposes here for this particular conversation. So we will ask why we are doing that activity in the first place, and then we can think about Uh, as students do the activity, in order for them to do it very well, what are the things that they need to think about? What needs to be going on inside their second grade musician head? That is a way to think about the process that they are taking. What is the pathway of musicianship that they are taking? You might find that you have several different artistic processes that happen just in one seven seven minute segment. And that's great. So these standards are really moving us towards how to develop musical thinkers as opposed to drag and drop musical performers, very specifically performers that only know how to imitate. Right. And again, that is the beauty of looking at standards as artistic processes rather than a checklist of things to imitate. Another thing that I have found to be very helpful is over the summer, I read a book about project-based learning and in there, they had the suggestion to rewrite your standards as I can statements. And for me, this has been one of the things that I have struggled with when I try to break down and understand the national standards. I look at this gigantic PDF of all of the grade levels, you know, through eighth grade for general music, and everything is broken down and it is so wordy and there are all these numbers. And even though I don't want to be this type of person, (laughs) I look at this big chart with this teeny tiny text Right. And I'm like, nope, this doesn't make sense. I am out. Doesn't make sense. Does not compute. I'm out. I'm not using it. Right. And that is where the state standards become so much more attractive in terms of do this at this point, do this at this point, do this at this point. You know what I mean? So something that I found to be very helpful was taking these and turning them into I can statements. And these are not I can statements in the sense that I would use for like a learning objective, because again, this is an artistic process. So these are not as actionable as I would prefer for a a teaching objective. But uh, I wanted to frame these in a way, even though I was thinking about how students would, would describe it, <laughs> um, I was using that way of thinking to describe them for myself, right? <laughs> uh, so things like if we just want to do the creating artistic process, you might come up with some I can statements that are, I can come up with musical ideas. I can organize my musical ideas so that I can work on them. I can work on my musical ideas over time. And then, you know, I can share my musical ideas. When we think about it in I can statements, instead of these just like gigantic uh, pages with tiny blocks of text everywhere with different colors and symbols and signs and stuff like that. That was a very easy tweak that did not take me very long. You just kind of zoom through on your chart from the left side, you know, preschool all the way to the right side, eighth grade. And you say, okay, what's the actual thing that we're doing here? What's the actual common thread that connects that connects all of these um, specific grade level standards within the big umbrella category of creating or, you know, performing, responding, connecting. So when it's time to align a curriculum to the standards, you might find some tweaks that you can make to highlight the naturally occurring processes that artists engage in all the time as we music. And those roles are wearing the hat of the creator, the performer, the responder, and the connector.